This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. And it's made possible, as always, by the great crew at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Well, today we have the company of a former Matilda turned soccer broadcaster and director. Amy Duggan overcame serious injury setbacks to make 20 appearances for Australia as Amy Taylor between 97 and 05, making her mark as an uncompromising defender before moving to a life behind the microphone. But Amy, like many of her then teammates, was also fearless in her desire to see women's sport gain greater recognition. Amy, welcome. Thanks a lot for your time. Well, thanks for having me. This will be exciting. And and your time does come in an exciting time. I suppose for the, for the game in this country as we count down the days until the FIFA Women's World Cup being held, obviously, here and in New Zealand mid-year, how strong is your sense of anticipation for this? I don't think you can get more excited. I think the closer we get, the more we've realised this is becoming real. And we've, you know, we've tipped over that point now where the countdown is well and truly on. And, um, you know, the seasons around the world are just wrapping up and the players are getting ready to have a short break and then head into camp. And, um, you know, we start to meet the personalities and really twist our focus to international football again. And, um, you know, Optus is obviously going to have every single game every minute of every single game and I'm involved in that coverage and uh, apart from being a player because that's the best place to be and being in the crowd which I will be for a lot of the matches I don't think there's any better place to be than covering all the matches so I, uh, I can't wait to see what this delivers and even more than that being on home soil it's a, like it's absolutely a dream come true uh, you know, for all 224 of us that have ever pulled on the jersey mm. for Australia. And so just on that, when we're going to retrace your journey, obviously, in, in the uh, in the hour to come, but how easily can you get excited about this Women's World Cup from a player's point of view? Like, do you can you easily put yourself in the shoes of the current generation and think, goodness me, how big is this? Uh, absolutely not, because it would be... Uh, Equally exciting and terrifying, I can imagine, mm-hmm. running out onto the pitch, having that homegrown pressure on your shoulders to perform in front of what will be a massive crowd at that opening game for us. Um, but as a former former player who now gets to watch on at the leaps and bounds that our sport has taken over the past 30 years, I find it amazing that we're on this upward trajectory and at the moment, you know, shooting like a rocket ship straight through um, so many layers and so many records that it's just it's so amazing to think. I have to pinch myself sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think it's going to gain, well, it is going to gain enormous traction. I'm not sure the casual sporting fan appreciates just how big it's going to be. I mean, looking at the excitement (laughs) generated by the Socceroos, that was halfway around the world in the middle of the night. I mean, this is a major event held on our shores. I'm not sure people realise how big it's going to be. It might sneak up on a few. 
I, I think it will sneak up on a lot of people. I think the football tragics are out there and bought their tickets and the the casual fans, I think they've uh, they've put their hand in their pocket as well. I know lots of people that have never even seen the Matildas before have got tickets to that first game. And I think that's beautiful. We're opening up doors to new fans. We've got, you know, um, thousands of kids that cannot wait to be a part of this and imagine being one of those kids that gets to hold hands and walk out onto the pitch with these players like how cool will that be and uh just emulating what happens uh, you know when we play world cup at training after the world cup but who you're going to be and what team you're going to support and how much fun it will be but um you know ticket sales are going great guns uh, we're going to have lots of international visitors as well and the best thing about this is it's uh, you know it's centered around sydney of course but there's games everywhere there's games in melbourne brisbane mm. perth adelaide and we can't wait to share elite football with the whole of australia and obviously the centerpiece and even though it is a team game is um you know without doubt sam kerr is one of the biggest names in the game well a global superstar and, and transcends the the game of football she's going to be a massive part of it all of course and only got to drive through the city of Melbourne at the moment. She's on every third billboard. I mean, she comes with enormous cachet, doesn't she? Oh, of course. And, you know, the Sam Kerr effect, is it's a bit like a butterfly effect, isn't it? She she flaps her wings and, you know, massive sound, uh, shockwaves uh, go through everyone. And uh, you, you can think of all the puns in the world, the Kerr effect, the... Uh, the kaboom, um, you know, we're flipping mad for this woman, like all of those things. But it's all it's all true, isn't it? Like the effect she's having on the park and the success. And you look back to the weekend, scoring a double in the in the last game of the the WSL to hand her team the trophy and the championship. Shankovic with the ball forward, looking for Kerr in behind to wrap it up for Chelsea. Steers it off the post and in from the rebound. That is what she is all about. She wants to score and score again. Goal hungry, trophy hungry. Chelsea all smiles. Chelsea have racked up the title for the fourth year in a row with a very, very comfortable last day win at Reading by three goals to nil. And Sam Kerr has two of them. The footballer of the year. And that's what she is saying. One, two, three, four titles in a row. Chelsea, champions again. Just stepping up in those big moments with pressure on her shoulders. Squaring it, Sam Kerr! Of course it is! Chelsea strike first at Wembley and Nicolas Duo combine. There could be no more predictable villain either. But at the same time, being honest and raw and authentic in the way that she speaks to kids, the way that she speaks to her teammates, the way that she speaks to the media, um, you know, she's she shared uh, in the success of this team, both personally on the pitch scoring goals, of course, but also off the pitch as well, where, you know, the, her own brand, the brand of the Matildas, um, the financial aspect of the game has improved with her help. Mm. Um, she's been open about her lifestyle and her family and the challenges that have come uh, with her journey through football, her injuries. But, you know, she's a, a true reflection of a good leader. She's grown into to become a great leader, but a true reflection of what an Aussie sporting hero is. She's an idol, not just to little girls, to little boys too. Yeah, yeah. So we're speaking in late May, Amy. Can they win it? Do they have a chance of winning it? How real and legitimate and genuine is the chance that the Matildas can win the World Cup? I think there's a lot of pressure on their shoulders, but if they're going to do it, the time is now. And I think uh, ultimately, you know, their coach has said, with the team that we have, if we can keep them all fit and all firing and we take one game at a time, then every uh, every 
opportunity is there for us to do, you know, the best that we possibly can. Mm. We can beat any team on any given day if we're on fire. Again, just getting in each other's way. They've won it back through Yallop. And long ball for Kerr. As it bounces off the surface, Kerr nips in. The mistake by Williamson. And Sam Kerr strikes again. And the Matildas have the lead. And Sam Kerr, wonderful to see her back in the starting side tonight for the Matildas. And wonderful to see her tuck home a goal, the Matildas in front. As Kerr peels off to the right, finding space. Vines in the middle, back post arriving. Grant deflected! And Charlie Grant has her first ever Matildas goal. The 21-year-old can scarcely believe it. The Matildas fans in the crowd in West London celebrate. But not any more than that. And the Matildas, the Australian women's national team, has laid down a marker here with a benchmark performance. Now, you wear a few hats these days. You're obviously with Optus Sport as the presenter, of course, and you'll be familiar to a lot of listeners this morning. But what role will you play, actually, just for the network during the World Cup? What what hat are you wearing there? Yeah, so for Optus Sport, I'll be a part of our broadcast team, hosting team uh, at at or in the studio for a proportion of all 64 games, which, as I said, you can catch on Optus Sport, and we look forward to bringing all of those. The Aussie games, of course, but uh, all the other games as well with the top nations, especially those top 10 teams and some of the emerging teams too who we probably don't know the stories of, and that's one of the greatest things about the World Cup, isn't it? It brings not just the best players and the best football to our shore and to our screens, uh, but also lets us learn about different cultures, different communities, different pathways to the top, the reason that they play, different coaches. And, you know, one of the things that I always say I love about a World Cup is finding out that next generation of player that we didn't know about that stands up on the stage mm. and uh, and we want to learn more. For sure. And, and the decisions being made on the future of the game in this country, I think you're a director at, at Venues New South Wales, but also the FFA and a member of the Football Development Committee as well. And I've probably even left a few others out there that are keeping you busy. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I keep, I've got my hands in a few pies, but ultimately all to do with leadership, sport, strategic direction, things like that. And, um, you know, we want the best stadiums in Australia for our players to play at and to have the facilities across Australia uh, right from grassroots to the top and infrastructure is something, especially at a community level that's pretty close to my heart. Um, you know, we want to continue investing in infrastructure right across Australia so that our grassroots, especially our girls, have, um, you know, friendly facilities that they can play at. Participation numbers are huge to us as part of legacy. Uh, you know, we're driving for that 50-50 kind of number uh, in Australia over the next few years, and I think the World Cup will help push that forward. But more women in leadership opportunities is also, like, super mm. important. More women in coaching being pushed through and being able to provide the support that they require too. So, yeah, there's a lot going on. We've had a couple of successful years, obviously, with the Matildas and our Socceroos as well. And um, I, I'm just happy to put my hand up to do anything I can to help advance the game in the best possible way. I still, I think it's the greatest game on earth. Yeah. Well, as you say, the growth is uh, <laughs> enormous at the moment and, and the Women's World Cup is certainly going to spike that again. Are you listening to This Is Your Journey? It's all thanks to Tobin Brothers, family-owned business since 1934. And we'll be back with former Matilda Amy Duggan right after this. 
You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Journey, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. And we're with former Matilda turned presenter and FA director Amy Duggan. So, Amy, the, the landscape of football, and not just football, but uh, women's sport in the country at the moment, I mean, it's not that long ago that you were a professional athlete, on, uh, on paper anyway, but but culturally, <laughs> culturally a long time ago. I mean, the way women's sport is now viewed and has progressed does the advancement in this space, I don't know, does it almost make your career feel like it happened an eternity ago? Do you marvel at the growth? Oh, yes. I wish I was 20 years younger, let yeah. me tell you, and living it now and uh, actually able to be a true professional footballer. Um, you know, we had a period of time where we lived as professional footballers before the 2000 Olympics without the pay packet, of course, where we were training, uh, you know, full time. And that was our uh, that was our gig. But previous to that, most players had to balance uh, work and training. They were funding a lot of their football themselves um, right down to the boots. <laughs> you know, we weren't given boots um, or anything. We weren't even given strips originally. So, uh, you know, all of that has has obviously evolved. And for me, the dream was always to better the game and leave it in a better place than, you know, it was for me and to, um, to make sure that it continued to evolve and and become equal to the men's game. Mm. And I think we've come a long way to do that over the past 20 years. And uh, it's gaining even more and more momentum. And for football to be a career choice now or an opportunity to be a career choice is something that my era of player could have only dreamed of. Yeah. And I mean, we, we speak about obviously women's football here, but there's women's cricket, AFLW, equal pay at the Australian Open and and so on. So you must, without being humble here too much, hopefully, you must take some satisfaction with the role that you and your generation played. Do you feel that to at least help pave the way going forward? Because it took a lot of hard work to get here. Yeah, I think every generation of Matilda wants to be recognised for the sacrifice that they made for the sport and what they gave. But ultimately, I don't think when we put on the jersey, it was ever about that. We're as fierce as every other competitor. We want to win. We want to be the best at what we do. And it just happened that our chosen sport was football. Um, the success of the game, I think, has always been there. There have always been successful female athletes. I just think the stories weren't told. Mm. We weren't recognised. They weren't shared. We're now seeing them, hearing them, being able to witness them both on television, on radio, uh, as a fan in a stadium and not just on some, you know, field that's out the back of somewhere (laughs) with no facilities like we're seeing and hearing and being. And I think that's a big part of the success. Yeah. It feels like it wasn't that long ago though. And people, you touched on it earlier, would be shocked to hear that not only were you not professional at the time, but you were actually having to pull money out of your own pocket to, to pay for the things that now I suppose we, we take for granted. That being, I mean, the kit that you mentioned, the boots and everything. I mentioned travel, I pay to travel and all those accommodation, all those sort of things. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, so at the top level for the Matildas in my era, we were lucky enough to have travel and accommodation paid for, but everything else, um, mm. you know, was ours to take take time off work to go, all of those sorts of things. Uh, shortly around uh, the end of my career, they started to bring in daily payments similar to what the men got. 
Um, and then obviously over the last 10 years, we've seen move towards an equal pay structure um, in our men and our women at the elite level. And I think, you know, that was a giant step for, for all women's sport when that happened. Uh, lots of things have changed over that time, as you said, like transport standards and um, the players have been a big part of that. They, they know that as we move forward into this equal age, they deserve an mm. equal opportunity and equality across the board. So all the players from every generation, I think, have always worked to incrementally um incrementally improve the standard for the next generation. Yeah, because I was I was doing a bit of reading. I don't know if I'm testing your memory here, but we'll go back to the mid-90s. The Matildas, I think, were described as the female socceroos in some quarters or even the soccerettes I was reading. Yeah, there was a few names uh, bandied around before they held a competition to call us the Matildas. Um, we were the Australian women's national soccer team originally. So we're football now, of course. Doesn't exactly roll <laughs> off the true. tongue. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. And, you know, I remember people used to ask what I did and I was like, I'm a Matilda. And they're like, what's that? Um, and I have to admit at 16, I didn't even know we had, I'd played the sport for four years and I didn't even know we had a national team. Uh, it wasn't until I went to the under 16 national championships and won the lucky door prize, which is a, a signed football and I was asking, like, who were these signatures? And they're like, oh, that's the Australian team. And I'm like, what do you mean? And they said, you know, Denise Tan Darby and that's Julie Murray and that's Denny Pentecost. And I was like, oh, so there's like a national team. And they're like, yep. And I'm like, well, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. So, you know, you have to see it to be it, don't you? And if you don't know it's there, you, you can't set it as a goal and go after it. And I think that's the beauty of the game now. We have... Yes, we have Sam Kerr and we love her and we go after her, but we also have Alana Kennedy, Caitlin Ford, Ellie Carpenter, Mary Fowler, Claire Wheeler, Katrina Gorey. Like this team is full of inspiring athletes. Yeah. Steph Catley, you know, so many great names and, um, and great stories. And yet you compare the mid-90s that I mentioned to, you know, more recent times and the Matildas have voted our most loved sports team. Like it is a, an amazing, an amazing growth in the way that the yeah. whole, the whole code, the whole team's been viewed. Penny Cross. That lovely football for Caitlin Ford. One on one. Caitlin Ford. Onto the right. Yep, and Sam Kerr has been named most mm. influential uh, person in sport in Australia at the moment um, recently. So what a huge accolade. You know, the list just keeps growing for her, doesn't it? And, um, you know, representing Australia to the King's coronations, you know, it, it's just a glimpse of how we view her and, and the pedestal that we that we put her on. And as I said before, there are, there are 20 or 25 or 30 or go back to the A-League W and there are 200 other women just like this who are out there setting goals, you know, having dreams and then setting goals to achieve them and being their, their authentic selves along the way and being willing to share their stories. And I think that's possibly the best part about what we do for a job is not only do we get to bring you the best athletes competing on the stage, playing against each other um, and seeing who wins because that's what it's all about, the game, but ultimately we get to tell these backstories to these people mm. as well and they're pretty amazing. Well, we're about to tell your backstory, so strap yourself in, Amy, right? We're <laughs> going to go back down memory lane here. Uh, after the break, we're going to chart your rise from Tuggeranong United all the way to the yeah. Matildas and it's after this on This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Back after this. 
You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. We're with former Matilda Amy Duggan. So Amy, you're a Canberra girl, born there and raised there too? I was born and raised in Canberra, schooled in Canberra. Um, Had the best life growing up, I have to tell you, Sam. Like I had... um, uh, our, our family's always had a farm. So um, I got to be a wildling on the weekends, <laughs> I like to call it. Uh, you know, I had a horse and we had the bush and uh, shearing sheds and cows and creeks with yabbies and um, a nan that loved, there was a wonderful homemaker and loved to cook. And, um, you know, we spent a lot of time as a family together when I was younger. And I, I think I'm really, really lucky to have had that. And then, uh, and then caught the football bug. Well, hang on. Before we get to the bug, so I'm, I'm picturing a childhood in, in gumboots and flannel. Yeah, that's yeah. about right. Riding Bang. boots or gumboots if you were down the creek. All right. That's right. And then you were bitten by the football bug. So that was your first sporting love, I suppose. How were you first exposed to it and how old do you reckon you were? So uh, a little known fact about me was that I was actually born um, with a club foot and had to have an operation when I was younger and uh, my parents were told that I probably wouldn't be that sporty. So we'll just throw that little really? one away. <laughs> really? I, uh, I had a crack at everything as a kid. So I did athletics, I played softball, I played basketball, tried netball, but I was a little too rough for that, I think. Um, cross country? And, <laughs> yes, cross country. I was a school champion a couple of times, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. Um, and then... We, I got asked by a teacher uh, in year six that there was going to be a girls only soccer gala day. Did I want to come and play for the team? And I was like, do I get a day off school? And they were like, yep. And I said, I'm there. Uh, never played soccer in my life. My poor mum going home and saying, hey, by the way, I need some boots for like tomorrow or the next day because I'm going to go and play soccer. <laughs> so uh, we managed to wrangle up a pair of boots and off I went. And turns out I was, you know, I could run a bit and wasn't too bad at kicking in a ball. And um, it just went from there. Got picked in the regional side from that little tournament. And, yeah. Uh, then got picked in the ACT side and we uh, went to Sydney and got absolutely shellacked about 19 nil, I think. <laughs> But I loved it. I just, I really loved the game. And mum and dad uh, supported me to, you know, continue all of these different sports. We would, you know, do lots of different things on the weekend. And eventually the following year they said, oh, you have to choose a sport. I'm like, we can't keep doing all of this. You've got a brother and a sister that needs some attention Mm -hmm. too. Um, And I chose soccer or football, soccer as I used to call it at that stage, because I could play indoor uh, half the year and outdoor half the year, which meant I got to play all year round. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how I ended up there. And, and did, yes, Tuggeranong United was my first club. Yeah. And so you loved the game. The game loved you back. It appears like it was just a natural fit from the start. But it yeah, was already. I, I love the short shorts that um, I see myself in now as a 12 year old. I'm glad the fashion's changed a little bit. <laughs> um, what did, did I read you? Your bedroom was plastered with English Premier League players, though, which at that stage, yeah. I, I guess, would have been yeah. men. Um, so yeah. you, you fell for the game pretty hard? Yeah, I uh, everything. I had T-shirts, as I still do. I've got my Matilda's T-shirt on today. But uh, I had T-shirts that were all about football. I wore football shorts everywhere. I um, 
used to wake up and watch the FA Cup in the middle of the night when it was on. Uh, of course, we only had SBS in those days uh, covering football, so you'd, you'd tune in when that was on. And um, the Premier League was really what we watched. Mm. There wasn't you, you couldn't see anything else. So um, Manchester United was the the first club that I really liked, and I think it was um, you know probably a play that's not too popular at the moment, Giggsy, but um, I liked him. I liked Paul Gascoigne, Alan Shearer. Um, you know Robbie Fowler when he when it was uh, when it was his turn. I, there was heaps of players that I used to Eric Cantona. Um, I used to love love watching play, and I guess that's you know I, I watched a lot of football and tried to learn as much as I could, um, except for how to kung fu people in the crowd. Yes. Although I think there'd be a few players out there that say they probably got kung fu by me, but we'll see. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I grew up in in that era, and then everything else I learned just from coaches that were so kind with their time and willing to give that to me to invest and uh, eventually you know I'm a product of the pathway lots of players don't follow the pathway but but I did Um, played in every age group you know national championships and then national team as I came through and then ultimately you know was lucky enough to to make my debut after a couple of camps with the national team yeah so you progressed through the ranks but it was was it the Canberra Eclipse in the old women's yeah, NSL? we won, a, we won yeah. a championship, buddy. But but you didn't play though, did you? Were you injured? When we won? Yeah. No, I or played. when you lost. When you lost, you were out injured perhaps. Um, yeah, it would definitely have been when we lost. No, yeah, I actually have no idea on the that. Answer, but I, I can tell you actually, I played in that um I played in that win. Caitlin Munoz scored. Uh, I will never forget the bus ride home or the three days following it. They were a lot of fun. So you, you pulled on the boots as well, I saw, for the Hampton Roads Piranhas. Now, they're in Virginia Beach in the yeah. US. So you moved over there when, what, you must have only been, what, 16, 17? No, I was actually, um, it was actually following the 2000 Olympics. I right. uh, My first true big goal was to play, you know, at the Olympics. And I think when we heard, this is Sydney, every everybody mm. was like, ah, that's what I'm going to do. And I was one of those. And um, the journey went well for, for most of that time. I did get injured. Um, I did get injured the year before and I, and I struggled to get back but was still quite hopeful of making that team and ultimately got named as an alternate. Um, would have made the squad now because we have more numbers, but anyway, got named as an alternate. Yeah. Uh, so didn't get to pull on the jersey during the 2000 Olympics, sadly, but um, it was still a one, like a wonderful ex- growing and learning experience. But I think after that time, having put in so much effort and full-time training because we lived together, um, from mid 98, you know, till the Olympics, it was pretty full on and I was a bit burnt out and I just needed some, something fresh. Yeah. So I thought, right. Um, I've seen a couple of the older girls go to, you know, amazing legs around the world. Um, Sunny Hughes, Cheryl Salisbury, you know, um, Ali Foreman was over in Denmark and I thought, well, you know, I might not be able to play in the top league in the world, but surely there's a league that'll take me. And uh, it was the first club that I reached out to and I just found them on a Google search, believe it or not, and uh, reached out to them and said, I, I want to come and play over there for the summer in, in the top US league at the time before the NWSL had started. And they uh, did a bit of reconnaissance, obviously. And I had to pay for my flight to get there too, um, which I borrowed some money off my mum. But <laughs> I, I paid, I got over there and I thought, well, this will be an adventure. And it was, yeah, it was great. It yeah. was a great learning experience. We, I took another Aussie Kelly Golubiaski with me and it was, um, 
Yeah, it was a great experience, a really great experience. Well, we'll come back to the Olympics, and I appreciate I'm dragging you all over the place here. But the Ram Sports Cup, can we talk about that? Now, that was 1990. my debut, yeah. Yeah, 1997. So you selected as part of the Aussie squad to face, well, at the time, the Olympic gold medalist, the USA, and that was that was here. It was in Australia. So I, I'd come into camp. We used to have camps at the Institute of Sport. Tommy Samani was the coach. Um preceding my time and then um, when I first came into camp. So I came in as a a 17-year-old kid into camp, had a couple of camps under my belt where I hadn't been selected for games and then got the call up for the game game squad to go to Ram Sports Cup and very bright-eyed, let me tell you. It was all very, very new being, you know, in that environment, in a camp environment, learning how it all works, travelling to games, what your game day looked like different to you know, the familiarity of club football um, and turned up to to Melbourne, Bob Jane Stadium, uh, had been sitting on the bench and got the call that you're going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, don't even ask me what the score was because I don't know. Um, I just, I was just, you know, oh, my God, this is going to happen. And on I went and uh, was playing out wide and Mia Ham came at me about two minutes later, I think, and I uh, she beat me. And I was like, uh-oh, that's not a good start. And uh, she beat me again and I might have tripped her over and got a yellow card. But that's okay. This is how we learn. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it comes back to what we were saying earlier, seeing it is being it. So what what sort of player were you, Amy? Like if I was to describe you as a... Oh, I reckon you've got a... a I reckon you've, you've got a, uh, a no. little I, excerpt I, there somewhere. I, I, well, I might have. I can't actually <laughs> remember. But I've got scribbled down here, terrier-like defender with a ruthless competitive streak. Would I be? Would oh, yeah, I'd like to win. Yeah. Would I be close? Yeah. Yeah, you'd be pretty close. I think tenacious is the word I prefer. Yeah. So Terrier makes <laughs> think, you sound um, like you're, you're, you're yapping at their heels where you were more authoritative than that, weren't you? Uh, yeah, I was pretty authoritative. Yeah. I, I learned from the old school. So um, I, I came into the sport in a transition moment where it was pretty rough and tumble and, yeah. uh, you know, uh, nothing was on television or um there was no VAR. There was yeah. no going back and checking what <laughs> happened to people. It was pretty rough. I'll, I'll give you that. It was very rough. Yeah. And um, and I was quite happy to be involved in that rough and tumble at the time if it meant that I won the ball and we won the game. Yeah. So I mentioned the the Ram Sports Cup in 97. By the way, it could also provide a quality cross. Can we talk oh, about yeah. the technical yeah. stuff too? Yeah, very and, good. And didn't mind a shot from outside the box. Could put a mean ball in. I've got that yeah. written down here as well. Okay, I just good. didn't get to it. <laughs> so you travel back to the US in, I reckon it was May 97. There was a one-off Youth Cup game, but you got the call up to stay on for the US Women's Cup after Bridget oh. Starr went down with injury. Now, you come off the bench and help me out here. I think you score your maiden. We're getting flogged. Maiden, yeah, you were. But who cares? I think the scoreline was 9-1 in the end. But you scored, did you not? Yeah, I did. I, I think it was a shot cross. And I'm just going to say I meant it. Um, I'm just going to say I meant it. I no. was aiming for the goal, but it was supposed to be a cross. But in the end, it went straight over her head into the top pocket. Um, I got cleaned up after that and ended up having an ankle operation, by the way. they I paid for it. Uh, took me took me a few months out of the game after that, but mm. I but yeah scored my first goal and, and against America and it was bittersweet in a way because as a kid like you dream to score against the USA but possibly not in a nine nil score yeah <laughs> you know oh. when you're nine goals down 
Um, but yeah, you don't you don't forget those moments. You don't. I was going to say it might be hard to get excited with a scoreline of nine one, but when you score the one and it's your first one, then you have to be excited. I celebrated. Don't yes. worry about that. Thank you. Good. And we will come back to those injuries, though. They, unfortunately, played a big part in your journey. Uh, You are listening to This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals. They celebrate lives. And we'll be back with Amy Duggan right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey, thanks to Tobin Brothers, a family-owned business since 1934. And our guest today has been former Matilda's defender and broadcaster Amy Duggan. So, Amy, we touched on it before the break, the, the battle with injury. I mean, what was the body count in the end? Was it two major ankle operations? Yes, yep, one on each, unfortunately. Um, and I don't, I don't know, it, they never quite feel the same after, do they? And um, it, they were tough to come back from. And I don't think we, uh, you know, we had wonderful people around us, wonderful physios in the sports science department at the Institute of Sport and doing the work. But I was, you know, to be completely frank, I was probably young and immature and just thought it would, you know, eventually take care of itself and you'd mm. end up back where you were. Um, I think, you know, knowing what you know and in reflection, you would have done things a little bit differently. But yeah. um, it is what it is. And, yeah, it unfortunately left me sidelined for a little while, a couple of times. Because I, I look at it and you retired from international football young, I think maybe only mid-20s. I mean, was it the injuries that got you in the end or was it more mental? Um, I think it was a combination of things. Like I was never a starting 11 player except for right at the beginning of my career. Um, because of injury and because the quality of football has just got better and better. And, um, mm. you know, I, I like to think that I punched above my way as, as it was. I'm not the biggest of defenders either. And, um, you know, that fed into a, into a lot of it too, as the game became more athletic. So I would spend, you know, a bit of time, a fair bit of time on the bench. And I found like I mentally struggled with that. And I'm, and I'm honest about that as an, you know, now mm. um, I hated it, but because I just wanted to play and I just wanted to win, but um ultimately you know I came I I had some time out in the middle early 2000s and then came back and thought I'm going to give this one last crack which I did uh fell short again of the Olympics and and alternate again um heartbreak's hard to take the first time but a lot harder to take the second time when Mm. you know you've done everything in your power um to to try and get there um and then to be able to come straight back, you know, be in the squad till six weeks before and come straight back into the squad right after the Olympics, I found that really tough and, and a moment for me that I had to think about, is this what I want to do, you know, with the rest with the rest of my 20s, I guess? Yeah. Because ultimately, you know, I'd grown up with an era of players that um, that chose football as their life and and some of them... Some of them were wonderful and great role models, but there wasn't really a professional career at the end of it at that time. And I had to think about that. Yeah. I had to think, you know, I want a house. I want kids. I want a career in something. I want to, I knew there was life after football and I hadn't been able to give it enough thought, I suppose. Yeah. So, um, you know, I wanted to go back to university. I want, there was a whole lot of stuff I wanted to do. And when the opportunity, I moved, uh, I moved for love to Wollongong to be with my husband, uh, my now husband. 
And um, when I made that move, there was there were no women's football teams here where I live. We now have two, which I, you know, I will put my hand up and say I've been a big part of making sure that the the future generations down here have access mm. to to women's football and at the highest possible level. Um, and and actually, Caitlin Ford was one of the drivers behind that because she was a kid that was going great guns, and there was she had to leave. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, this is not okay. So. Anyway, back to to where we were. Uh, Move for love, and there was a lot of a lot of things going on. And um, living in New South Wales, man, I couldn't play for Canberra anymore, and that was a real defining moment too for me because I'm pretty loyal, and to have to pull on a sky blue jersey after wearing you know blue and yellow for my whole career, I, I struggled with that a little bit with the changing of the badge. And I know it's mm. easy to do now in the professional era. People change teams all the time, but yep. um, when you've played with the one team for a really long time, that that was part of it. And then ultimately, after being here, um, when television uh, said, "Do you want to audition for the the sports presenter role?" and I was like, uh, "Sure." So never one to shy away from a challenge. Uh, I took that on, and it, it turned out, you know, I liked it, and I went away for one more, one more camp and one more um, tournament with the Matildas in Australia in the February and came back and kind of made the decision that that Mm. would be it for me and I would go on with the next chapter. So before we get on the next chapter in its entirety, I mean, you mentioned Sydney being on standby. You mentioned Athens being an alternate player again. I think you were a part of the 99 World Cup team in the US that didn't feature uh, and and the mental challenges in that. But knowing that you put everything you possibly could into it now, do you look back at it satisfied that you gave it everything, that you – left no stone or, or did you still have just that no, tinge of regret? Not. Yeah. No, I, I think we only regret the things we don't do, right? So having a crack and giving it everything and falling short, mm. it's tough, but it's better than not having a crack at all. Um, way better than not having a crack at all. Yeah. Um, I think I was very young. I think I was quite immature as a player. I think I was probably a little bit of an outsider because quite often in teams um, – not always, but for a period of time, I was the only one from Canberra. So that was interesting until I got some teammates in the team. That was, you know, that was hard as well, not having um, older mentors or friends in the team to, to look up to and learn from. So, um, of course, hindsight hindsight provides us with many of should have, could have, would have, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but you can't change history. You can only change the future. And, you know, you live and learn from these things. Yeah. So the presenting. I'm still proud of what I achieved at the end of the day. Yeah, 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 as you should be. And the presenting and the broadcasting, I mean, was that always something that appealed to you? Pretty shocking scenes, but what are your thoughts on whether or not Barcelona should have celebrated on the home ground of their rivals, but also on what sanction may be coming Espanyol's way? I just think it's poor form not to let a team have their moment on the pitch, like really poor form. And when you're in, you know, and saying, oh, the players shouldn't do it, well, of course they should because at the end of the day, you get caught up in the emotion. You know you've won. You've put in a whole season of hard work. You're not thinking about your safety at that point. You're just thinking about having a great time. To see the the fans run on the pitch was, uh, it's a scary moment, I think, and, and you saw how quickly the players were evacuated and now they're just going to go destroy a dressing room so enjoy that but should they get a points deduction for Espanyol um, as you said they're already battling relegation they'd be out but this is one of those catch-22 situations where is the club actually responsible I don't think they are 
ultimately at the end of the day people have to take responsibility for their own behavior and that's just that's crossing the line we all know the rules don't come on the pitch and certainly don't come on the pitch and attack rival you know rival players and rival teams now you mentioned win i mean there's been so many there's been reality shows there's been uh, abc's coverage of the game there's been fox sports obviously now opta sport and was was there a fishing show back in the day as well yes that was my first foray yeah. into tv so um just had i just got a random phone call <laughs> to say we're looking for uh we're looking for a young lady that won't mind getting her hands dirty uh, and knows how to talk. And I thought, oh, well, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> Let's have a go at this. And I was lucky, you know, my dad had taken me fishing as a kid. So on our camping trips and um, I thought I knew what I was doing. And then I met some experts. So, yeah, that was my first foray into television was a fishing show and then a travel show. Yeah. Uh, and then ultimately, you know, made the transition across to news, which which was a massive learning curve for me. And I went back, you know, and made sure I, I did the theory components at university because, I was way out of my depth when I entered, but um, but could always tell a good story. Mm. Welcome back. Let's head to Canberra, where a group of Year 12 science students have been given an experience not always associated with science. Would your blooper reel be big or small? Um, over 20 years, mm. she'd probably be pretty big and have a few swear words in it, I'd say. Right, okay. um, <laughs> and probably a few blonde moment questions. I asked one yesterday that I just shook my head at myself about. But anyway, um, I, I just, yeah, I don't know. I don't take myself, I do take myself seriously when I need to. But ultimately in life, I don't think you can take things yeah. too seriously all the time. And I'm the first one to have a joke about you know, silly stuff I do myself. Yeah. And the family life as well, I should mention, all the chaos and logistical challenges that comes with that. Yeah, the struggle and juggle is real, I tell people. So, you know, balancing a a media career and obviously the directorships along with three incredibly amazing sporty children and a husband who flies around uh, Australia half the week is... um, it's demanding, but we're organised and I think, you know, I, I always say the lessons that you learn in sport, you take everywhere with you in life and, you know, dedication, discipline, planning, practice, all the things that we learn um, through sport, teamwork, um, all the things that we learn through sport I just put into practice in life and we make it work. Yeah. We don't drop the ball too often. No, it is about keeping the balls in the air, absolutely. Um, Amy, thanks so much for joining us today. I mean, a football career that took you to the international levels, obviously something to be incredibly proud of, but so too, I think anyway, is the role you played in helping get women's sport, the recognition and the relevancy that it long deserved. And I thought your generation, those before you as well, and those that came after were absolutely key in that. Now, best part, you get to enjoy it all and admire it from behind the microphone. So congratulations on everything you've done. Good luck for the World Cup coming up and looking forward to watching you on the small screen and thanks for sharing your journey with us no problem thanks for having me and just make sure you tune into optus all 64 games on optus sport will bring you the best not just on the pitch but off it as well amy duggan joining us there and thank you for joining us also you've been listening to this is your journey for tobin brothers funeral celebrating lives you can jump online to find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey